O come and magnify the Lord with me. What a tremendous gift. Paul calls this gift of preaching a gift of the mercy of God. <clears throat> to be able to stand here and look out and see people that, that I know and love deeply, and to be able to proclaim a God that I know and love deeply is, is a, a rare privilege. And so I'm grateful, very grateful for the privilege we have to come together to lift up the name of Christ and to proclaim that it is well with our souls. Please join me in prayer. Father, we are so glad to be able to call you our Father, and we call you Father because of your Son, His life, His sacrifice, His service for us, His ministry, His death, His resurrection, and we know now that He is in, <clears throat> seated in heavenly places he is at the, your right hand, pleading and interceding for us, and we look for His return. And until He comes, we are going to proclaim His life and death. And so this morning, we ask your blessing on our time as we consider your word and as we offer praise to your name because you're worthy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> A survivor of the Boston Marathon now five years after he was injured, has a comment that illustrates a major point I want to talk to you about this morning. You see, in that bombing, he lost a leg, and his wife lost parts of both of her legs. And listen to his statement. He said, we had to work hard to make sense of this. And what that man says is, an, is illustrates a common, universal human experience. Human being brains and minds and hearts are wired to look at your life, to understand it, categorize it, make sense of it. And trust me, you have been making sense of your life since before you knew you were making sense. It happens. Trust me, a two-month-old, even a one-month-old, has started to figure out cause and effect. I have watched this uh, dynamic of human relationships actually since I was in high school. I'm fascinated by watching human behavior just out of natural curiosity. But <clears throat> what I want to share with you today comes from, from a, a compassion for people who are hurting. In our ministry, now 18 years into counseling ministry, this is something that is profoundly important to understand People have experiences. We categorize and make sense of that experience. You call that worldview. I call it perspective. It's a belief system. We create belief systems to make sense of our world. And what can happen early in life especially is we can make sense of our world in a way without the wisdom and the truth of God. And without a crisis, you can live your whole life. I know people that have lived decades with a perspective that was formed out of, of events in their early life. I'm convinced that kids make sense of their world in some profound ways. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had three of our grandkids with us, and um, nighttime is always fun, always create a lot of chaos and excitement, chase them to bed. We're jumping on the bed, and of course, not a smart thing to do because you get them wound up before bed, and now you got to settle them down. So I'm laying in bed with Vivian, five and a half years old, and typical, she's feeling my beard. And She's, she likes to feel how soft it is, and, but she's looking at me 
with this intense perspective. I know it's coming. She says, Papa, you look really old, but you're not. <laughs> now, you can question the, the validity of her perspective, but I'm telling you, that was a perspective statement. And it came from the way she looked at me and made some conclusions based on what she knows about her world. Well, trust me, you have made some conclusions about life. You have some perspectives, and I want to ask you, I want to consider, to think about your thinking. What part of your worldview, your perspective, your belief system, would, would God say you need to tweak, adjust, maybe blow up and start over? All of us have ways that we need to be growing in that area. Let me give you some, some sentences that help you get a window into a perspective. Things like this, things I've heard in conversations uh, from believers. I feel like God is punishing me. I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like God doesn't hear my prayers. <clears throat> Why, God? Why me? Why is this happening to me? I prayed that God would take away these desires, and He hasn't. God hasn't changed my desires. I can't help it. I, I am who I am. Or, I'm a guy. I've heard this often. I'm a guy. This is what guys do. Or there's this phrase, if only, that lives in the hearts of discontented souls. Or, if only. If only I was married. If only I was single. If only I was... Uh, wealthy, if only I had a degree, if only I had a bike, if only, if, if only I had uh, someone's respect, if only my husband would love me, then I would be happy. Or a real sad, common perspective statement is, it's my fault my parents were divorced, because every time I was around, they were fighting. You see, perspective statements are profoundly important to unpack and think about. <clears throat> And then there's this. There's the reality that when life happens and it's hard, we make, oftentimes, we will make vows. This was so unpleasant. I'm going to make sure that this never happens again. So here's a key point I want you to consider before we get to your notes. Failure to have a God-centered perspective has profound consequences. And I want to appeal to you today to think about your thinking, and perhaps there's a perspective change that you might want to consider. Let me give you an illustration of, of how this can happen uh, to all of us. Dory Van Stone wrote the book, the, Dory the Girl Nobody Loved. If you haven't read it, I would commend it to you. It's a tremendous testimony uh, of God's goodness. But she grew up in a very abusive home. Her mother's refrain to her was, Dory, why can't you be pretty like your sister? Can you imagine hearing that in the formative years of your life? And to top all that off, one day her mom just without preparation dumped her off at a, an orphanage and left her there with no emotion, no sense of, of struggle of letting go of this relationship. Mom says, I can't care for you. That opened seven years of Brutal beatings every night for seven years. <clears throat> Here's her perspective of that event in her life. If I am too ugly to love, <clears throat> at least I can be feared. They said about her she was tough and angry 
And her facade ensured that no one would get close enough to hurt her again. So how are you doing? How are you doing making sense of your world? What is your perspective? And are you willing to think about your perspectives in light of God's truth? That's my question to you today. And so that I've titled this, The Importance of God's of a God-centered perspective. And we're going to look at the life of Paul and a little blip of his letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to just look at one verse, verse 7. But to get a context, I'm going to start from verse 1. But I want you to understand here what's going to unfold here is in one verse is a literally a philosophy of discipleship and ministry that comes out of this man's heart. And for me, personally, I couldn't tell you how many years that I have, this has been my desire in serving God's people, is to literally function by this outline. So some of you have heard this before. Please stand with me, and uh, let's see how we can be followers of Paul as Paul was of Christ, as we, I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord without our, with ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are perplexed, but not crushed. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, purpose statement, death is is at work in us, but life in you. You may be seated. What we see here coming from Paul's pen is a robust picture of his life, his perspective of life, of ministry, and of suffering, and how he is called to serve the church of Christ. And what I'm going to argue before we get to your notes, I'm just going to give you a high-level view. Here's where I'm going with this conversation this morning. I believe you have a perspective because you're a human being, and I believe that you, like I, need to check our perspectives against the truth of God's Word and ask, is there a place that I need to shift and rethink things? Because perspective is what we live out of. Proverbs 4.23 says, out of your heart uh, proceeds the fountain of life. This is what I'm talking about, your perspective. Paul, what I want to show you is Paul's perspective comes from his understanding of personhood, his, his understanding of the personhood of God, his understanding of his own personhood where he relates to God, and Paul's perspective is shaped and fueled to pursue God's purpose in his life. 
And he is consumed with this because he sees Christ for who he is. And he proceeds to obey God in practice of his life. That's a philosophy of ministry. We are going to see with Paul into the face of Christ here in this conversation. And we will end our time with communion and reflect on Christ face to face at the Lord's table. Back to the text. Chapter 4, verse 7. I want to consider how we might follow, follow Paul as he followed Christ. Paul says this, We have this treasure <clears throat> in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul is making a profoundly important uh, statement about life, a philosophy of life and ministry. What he's saying is, we have something. What do we have? This treasure. What does the word this do? It points back to verses 4, 5, and 6. Listen, he is treasuring the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what Paul's life is all about, is he's tre treasuring, he's valuing, he's exalting, and exalting in Christ himself. Verse 5, he is proclaiming and exalting in Jesus Christ our Lord, or as Lord. In verse 6, <clears throat> he is exalting in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is treasuring, and he is pointing you to a perspective. The place where your perspective begins is this high view of who this God is. He says in Colossians chapter 2, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. In Philippians 3, listen to Paul's treasuring of King Christ in comparison to what he used to value before he was a believer. Look at the transformation in this man. Philippians 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. And he rejects man-given or man-achieved righteousness for the righteousness of God which comes by faith. And he says this, I let go of all of this so I can know Jesus. And I want to know his resurrection. I want to know his power. I don't want this. I want this. And then he says this, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. Now that is a perspective statement. Where does it come from? Because he treasures what is truly and only valuable. Well, he knew, along with this treasure and this call, by the way, he's also, this treasure, I think is, is, is referring also to this phrase, to give, to give the light. So in, in verse 7, uh, verse 6, I'm sorry, Paul is called to give the light as he preaches, and so are you. Treasure the gift of having the gospel that you can share with other people. Paul knows from Acts chapter 9, verse 16, he knows something. God says this about, about Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. <clears throat> but that's what he wanted. 
He wanted to suffer for the name of Christ. Moses also did the same kind of thing. Listen to Moses, the process of Moses' thinking and his perspective. Moses, by faith, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated. He chose to be mistreated. Paul chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. How in the world do you get a perspective like this from a guy who doesn't even know Christ? It's not, in his, it's not written. His, Jesus Christ's name is not written in Moses' Bible. Listen to what verse 27 says of Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured seeing, seeing him who is invisible. Moses believed the word of God and acted on it. You see, a high view of God produces radical results in the face of horrific opposition. So the point here I want, you, I want you to consider is what that looks like in real life. Darlene Rose is one of my favorite uh, missionaries. She was a, a missionary in Papua New Guinea. Uh, during World War II, she and her husband were serving there. During World War II, the Japanese took over her camp, killed her husband, and kept her captive for eight years. And for eight years, she suffered for the cause of Christ and took severe beatings. And her, you know what her concern was? She bowed before her Japanese uh, torturers to show respect for the glory of God. She wanted to represent her king well. <clears throat> you see, a, a high view of God produces radical responses. And here's what she said when she got home to the U.S. after it was all done. Her first testimony of her experience, she said this, I would, for Jesus' sake, I would do it all over again. My question to you is, how are you doing as you face the, tr the struggles and tests in front of you? Would you do it all over again? Choose to do it all over again for the sake of Christ. Well, you see, a high view of God causes us to move into hard things for His glory. But it's not only a high view of God that Paul is making much of. Back to verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? <clears throat> <clears throat> to show the surpassing power of God. Point number two, Paul's perspective was shaped by a biblical view of himself. You see here, Paul's perspective comes from personhood. I understand the personhood of God, and I understand my own personhood. I know where I fit in relationship to him, how I compare to him, and I know where I fit in his overall plan. I know who I am. I'm just a clay pot. And he, the imagery he is using here, I believe, is in response to the criticism of the Corinthians who said he's weak. He's not, a, he's not much of a speaker to listen to. He's hard to look at. He's ugly. His eyes are bad, probably blinded from the road to Damascus. Who knows? Nobody knows. But they criticized him, and their perspective of Paul was way off. And Paul is writing to straighten them out. But instead of saying, hey, wait, I'm not weak. I'm strong. What do he say? I am weak. He owned his own weakness. And I would appeal to you that there is a reason why you are weak. And the hope in this is to own your weakness and be honest about it. 
Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay. I'm just a container. I'm just like a fast food container. Back then, clay jars were used from anything from vomit and garbage to something of value. It's indescript, and every, uh, clay, every dig that you find, archaeological, archaeological dig, you'll find clay pots all over the place. I am insignificant in comparison to this treasure. Well, he in fact says this, God said to me, Paul, regarding his thorn in the flesh, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly. Listen to this. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest here in the clay pot. So how are you doing? Are you transparent and honest with your weakness? Do you own it? Are you putting your hope in God and not your own strength? Or are you trying to paint a picture Brett McCracken says this about social media. One's image of strength and perfection can be so disconnected from the hiddenness of our weakness. I like to call Facebook facade book. He goes on, we are all prone to covering up and cropping out our flaws, deceiving ourselves and those around us into, excuse me, believing we have it all together. One of the greatest gifts the church can have of people that are honest to each other. Confess your faults one to another that you might be what? Healed. Why is weakness so important? Paul says, take comfort knowing that God's power is put on display when you trust in Him in spite of your weakness. Point number three, Paul's perspective motivated him to pursue God's purpose. Paul was a purpose-driven man. And I would urge you, as you read your Bible, to pay attention to the purpose statements that are written all over its pages. And Paul himself is constantly preaching and proclaiming purpose. Look at verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that. That's a purpose statement. To show what? To show the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Your weakness is, is like black background with a white hand sticking up. It's, it's to proclaim it. It's to show it. It's to reveal God's power. Well, what is the God's power that he's talking about? Look at verse 6. He is talking about the illuminating power of God. Listen to verse 6. For the God who said, what did God say? Let light shine out of darkness. <clears throat> This God, this creating power, the illuminating power of the God of creation also has illuminating power to shine into the heart of an unbeliever. That heart, he says, is blinded by the God of this world. And the only way, the only way a human heart and soul is going to respond to the gospel is if God shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is exalting the illuminating power of God, and I believe he is also celebrating his weakness, embracing it. In fact, he's gladly glorying in it because he is so consumed with the power of God. Purpose is critical for you to understand. There's a reason. There's a reason why you, brother and sister, suffer. 1 Peter, 1, or 1 Peter 2 says this, as after 
verses 12 through 19, <clears throat> Peter says this, as it describes suffering, Peter says this, to this you have been called. That's a purpose of a believer. And Kent Hughes says this about this purpose statement of God in clay pots. The breaking up, he says, of our clay vessels through the crushing circumstances of life allows the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shine in the face of Jesus Christ. To shine forth, and he says this, in full creational power and full gospel power. Our weakness, continuing, he says, is essential to and necessary for the display of God's power. Several years back, I was in Jamaica. Our son actually lived there. And he took me to a infirmary. And we stood at the bedside of a man named Hubert. Some of you maybe have been there. This man was paralyzed with both legs, and his entire world was his bed, and all he could do is, is put himself up on his elbows and look out the window into a, a barren courtyard with one tree, and he had a radio. That's all Hubert had. But our son and I stood there holding each other, weeping because of the power of God revealed in Hubert's heart. His mind was glowing. He was praising God. He was thankful. He was full of joy and pointed us to the gospel. And here I'm fussing. You see, weakness displays the glory of God. How are you doing, by the way? How are you doing? Are you pursuing the glory of God his purpose, showing His power in the face of your weakness and suffering. Are you trusting in your own strength? Point number four. Paul's perspective motivated him to obedience or put into practice what God called him to do. Paul was an obedient man. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he said, I make it my aim to please God whether I'm dead or alive. Paul was committed to practicing what he preached and proclaiming the glory of God by his own attitude, actions, and behavior. So how you doing? I want you to think about your thinking. What perspectives are you holding on to that if Paul were to speak to you, he would put his finger on it and say, that's got to go. Treasure Christ. Do you treasure Christ more than your circumstances? Do you see yourself where you fit in relation? Have a pers perspective of the personhood of God, your own personhood? Are you understanding your weakness? Are you pursuing God's purpose? Remember, remember Dory Van Stone? What was her perspective? If I'm too ugly to love, I can be feared. If I'm too ugly to love, no one will get close to me. If I'm too ugly to love, no one will hurt me again. That was her perspective. Praise God, later in life, I forget exactly how old she was, she was saved. She was still a teenager. The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, shined into her heart, and God saved her. <clears throat> Failure to have a God-centered perspective has a disastrous result, but God transformed her and shone the light of His glory into this woman's heart. Guess what happened? In God's sovereign kindness to her, Dory Van Stone happened to be in, in uh, now I'm going to forget, um, 
Darlene Rose's testimony. The night that Darlene Rose hit American soil, Dory was in that auditorium and heard uh, Darlene Rose's testimony. Listen to what she heard. For Jesus' sake, I would do it again. And, and Dory looks at that and said, okay, I'm going to give my life as a missionary. You see the importance of a biblical perspective. You respond to life. You see God where He belongs. You, you understand where you are. And you pursue His purpose and day by day practice obedience. <clears throat> How you doing? Do you need to make some changes? If you don't know Christ, my urge to you is to remember in verse uh, four, it says, the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. Pray that God would open your heart and shine his light into your own heart. For you, brother and sister, my urge to you would be keep gazing into the face of Christ, making much. Treasure Christ more than anything else and admit that you're weak. And as we behold the glory of God, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that the Holy Spirit will transform you from where you are to where you need to be, from one degree of glory to another. That's the promise of Paul's perspective of gospel ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that through Christ, we can have our perspectives move towards one that would align with you Thank you that you have told us who you are. We understand your personhood. We also understand where we are. We're, we're clay pots, but yet we, have, we bear your image, and our weak image, uh, reflection of you, is meant to show your power. We praise you for that, and we pray as we leave here, we would be purpose-seeking, purpose-driven uh, believers that practice obedience for the sake of your name and glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.